I've learned a principle in American sports, particularly the NFL. It's called the clock determines the play. When I first started watching American football, I thought, why are they wearing so many pads? First quarter, coach is there. Hey man, let's just feel out the offense. Let's just see how it goes here. We're a good running team. Let's see what they got. Not too much drama. We're down 6-0. It doesn't matter. First quarter. That, that first quarter pep talk is like, you look good, guys. Keep stretching it out. Let's push. Next quarter. Down by 14. Let's push a little harder, boys. Let's push a little harder. <laughs> Halftime speech is like, we've worked all season for this. These are our arch enemies. We hate these guys. Get them out of here. Go do some damage by any means necessary. End of the third quarter, 11 to 14. Coming into the fourth quarter, he's not like, hey guys, you look good today. Stretch it out. Fourth quarter is like, gentlemen, the season is on the line here. That final two minutes, that two minute warning, what a phrase. Two minute warning. What's that coach saying? Down by three. Is the volume a little more intense? Fellas coming in, it's like, boom! It's, it's a level of intensity. You're doing special plays. You're not doing safe plays. You've, you've got special stuff that you reserve for moments when there's no time left and you're down by a few points. The clock determines the play. What moment are we in, in the history of this country right now? Is this the first quarter? Are we like, hey, fellas, you look good. No, you're struggling. Men love to struggle, don't they? We love that term, struggling. It's just struggling. These are not days for struggling. It's not the first quarter. There's a two-minute warning. What else do we need to have happen in this nation? You tell me. What else do you want? He can withdraw or he can judge. What else needs to happen? The global pandemic, God's got more than that. He's got radical weather events. He's got all sorts of stuff. At which point do God's people realize we're at the two minute warning and they start living life differently? This is that moment. You may not feel like, well, I don't want that. It's like, sorry, God wants it. So that means we have to play accordingly to the clock of heaven. And that's the moment that we're in right now. We're in that moment where we're going to do the special plays. There's got to be a level of intensity. There's a lot on the line. Now, we're also in a moment of incredible decline. A good friend of mine lives about an hour and a half from here. He runs at the Barna Group, and he's, he's famous for doing research on the state of the church in America. And in a conversation recently, he said this to me. He said, we have reached the point statistically of irreversible decline for the people of God. Which means bar a radical move of God and old-fashioned revival and radical youth discipleship, all we will do for our legacy is manage the decline of our communities, families, and churches. How many of you are like, that's my day. I want to manage decline. <laughs> People said to me like, hey, I've seen a shift in your ministry. All your focus used to be on church planning and urbanization. And it sort of feels like it's moved towards like men and fathers and revival. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm trying to live into the moment we are in. 
Well, it's like when someone tells you, here's the plays, doesn't matter how equipped you feel, you go, okay, if that's the need of the hour, I want to lean in. And so that's what I want you to do today. I want you to take yourself seriously. I want you to realize the urgency of the hour that we live in and how much is at stake in your life for your future and the future of your communities. I don't want to do this by talking about the life of Josiah today. Now, Josiah is uh, one of the, the most remarkable kings in the Old Testament. He's living in a time, this is, uh, this is going to be found in 2 Chronicles 34, 2 Kings 22, but it will be up on the, on the screen. Josiah lived at a time of great evil. It had been 90 years since they last had any semblance of a movement of God and a movement of holiness. His grandfather was one of the most evil kings in the history of God's people. And his father was so incompetent and godless that his own people assassinated him after two years in the office. And so Josiah comes to power and he begins to rule when he's eight years old. Any eight-year-olds in the house? It's like, why aren't they in here? It's because like, they don't get it. But imagine putting an eight-year-old on the throne. Sometimes American politics feels like we're putting eight-year-olds on the throne. But here is Josiah. And Josiah just begins in a time of decline and negative momentum to just put his hands against the evil of his age and just try and slow it down. And he is a one-man revival in his generation. And so I want to talk to you today about how to turn the tide in a time of uh, decline based on what we see in the life of Josiah. It's pretty simple stuff, but it's potent stuff. How many of you know we don't need bigger events, we need better lives, more potent lives? And that's what Josiah tells us. So just three big ideas on on how to take seriously the moment of decline that you will live in from the life of Josiah. The first one thing we see from Josiah is this radical repentance. Radical repentance. Last night was an x-ray of sin. Today's an MRI. I'm going to sit in it a little bit longer. Radical repentance. Josiah is eight years old when he becomes king. He's 20 when he launches a major effort to eradicate the pagan places, groves, and images from Judah and Jerusalem. And he's 26 when he launches a full-blown restoration project. Here's what we see in Josiah's radical repentance. First thing is this, is he turns to God with all his might. It says this, in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. Verse 2 tells us, he walked in the ways of his father, David. Now, we love David. David was a warrior poet. He was a worshiper. He was, he was good at both leading people out into war and bringing people into worship, which was the essence of what the kings were called to do. And so Josiah does something extraordinary. As Josiah looks back through his family line, he says, if I act like my father or my grandfather, all I'm going to do is bring evil through the influence of my reign. So he did something extraordinary. He just picked a spiritual father that he wanted from another time of history. He just said, I don't, Manasseh's not going to do the job. My father, he's named after a sun god. He's a pagan father. I'm just going to go pick my own father. And he goes back in history and finds a man that he wants. And he says, I'm going to have a father named David. And he's the one that I'm going to set my heart on. This is good news because if your father was a disappointment to you, it 
it means you're not doomed to repeat his mistakes. You can start something new. You can just go back in history and say, I want what he had. I want that fruit. I want that lifestyle. I want that impact. And just claim yourself as a spiritual descendant. I pray all the time to the God of William Seymour and the, the revival in Los Angeles. I pray all the time to the God of my father, Hudson Taylor. I pray to the God of Duncan Campbell. My spiritual father, Charles Finney. Like, they're not your spiritual fathers. I'm like, they are. I'm just choosing their fruit. This is what we see in Josiah. He just went back in history and said, I want that legacy. Part of the problem of only building your expectations of fruit and impact based on what you've seen right now is that it's the wrong reference points. We've got to go back to God's word Back to times of awakening in history and say, what did they see? Is it the same gospel? Is it the same God? Are there still promises hovering out of this book available for men of faith? Well, if that's the case, I'm not going to limit myself to what I can see in the natural right now. I'm going to go back in time and I'm going to walk in the ways of different spiritual fathers from different history. Do you know, have you studied the great moves of God, the great men of God? In part of my repentance from the Sons of Anarchy scenario that I found myself in, I went back and I just started reading biographies of godly men. The story of Hudson Taylor, Hudson Taylor's spiritual secret. Hudson Taylor's a radical missionary. He's in China and, and he, everybody wondered, where does he get his power? Where does he get his power from? Nobody ever saw him pray because he just worked from before dark till after dark. And then one night, his daughter recounted a story. And they used to, when they were in China on mission, just sleep in these big open rooms, just on mats. And she said she remembers as a little kid waking up and her father got up at 2 a.m. and lit a little candle when everyone was asleep. And for two hours, he opened the scriptures and he communed with God. He's learning to abide in the secret place, in the invisible place. And the only time he could get, because the work was so intense, was between 2 and 4 a.m. And that's where the power came from in his life. And I remember thinking, I've got a thousand excuses as why I can't seek God like that. But then I said, you know what? What excuse do I have now? I've got an example from someone in history who paid the price from 2 to 4 a.m. I've got to press in. I've got to take advantage of it. What fruit do you want in your life? Has you, you ever read things about the gifts of the Spirit and you thought, I want that? Go after it. You ever read accounts of men who saw the power of the Holy Spirit? Go after it. Begin to seek the God of the spiritual fathers from other generations. You never know. You never know what God will do. You never know when you turn seriously to him, what you are sowing for a spiritual inheritance in the future. I became a Christian uh, the weekend I turned 17. I shared last night that this was in a Pentecostal youth revival. I'm talking speaking in tongues, glory, fainting, slaying, pushing and legitimate falling, like all of the things. Man, I just got a spirit of prayer on my life. I had a youth pastor that would, would basically make mi like mixtapes, but they were clips of revival from around the world, and he'd like chop them up onto a VHS. And he'd have all the young leaders over his house, and he'd just play these clips of revival, and he'd say, God's going to do that through your lives. And we'd spend the rest of the night praying for revival. He'd lay hands on us. It was amazing. 
So I just thought that's what everyone did when you became a Christian. I thought this is what youth group is. It is half nights of prayer for revival. I felt a call that I was meant to come to the United States. I was out praying in a field at a, at a big uh, youth rally in Sydney. And uh, it was DC Talk and White Heart. And White Heart were kind of lame. They were sort of dated. It was sort of dated. DC Talk on the rise, White Heart on the decline. We went out into a field and just began to say, God, I seek you. I seek the God of spiritual fathers. And I had this vision. And I felt God saying to me, I'm going to bring you to America. So I go and tell my youth pastor, I've just had this vision. I'm going to go to America. And I said, why would God send you to America? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Trying to respond to the vision, not invent it, you know. I had an amazing boss when I was a butcher. And one night, all the butchers came in and they were drunk. And my boss said to me, these guys, this is a quote, it's not, not trying to be offensive. He said, all these guys are pissing half their paychecks away in beer. He said, you need to buy a house. Don't, don't look at these men. Don't be like these men. Take your money and buy a house. So I bought a house when I was 19. Living on my own, 19, working in a meat factory. But I still had this call on my life to come to America. So I go to a, a, like a poster shop or a framing shop and I walk in and I say, do you have any pictures of America? So they gave me this, this, yes, we do. It's quite popular around the world, America. So they give me this picture of America. And I remember putting on my fireplace, my mantle, this picture of America, and I would sit in front of it in the mornings before I go to work. And I'd say, God, open a door for me to go to America. Open a door for me to go to America. Come on, God. Come on, God. Get me to America. I want to see the California, Lord God. Get me to America. So... At this time, it's important to note, I am very, very aware of time. Hard to explain, almost like a superpower. So I'm documenting everything. I'm like, you know, this is going to be part of my story. So I buy a video camera with little tapes, and I just film my whole life. And um, it was amazing. So I ended up getting a scholarship, miracle. One day, my dad calls me the butcher shop and says, John, sure you want to serve God? Yes. He said, well... You want to go to Bible college? Yes. I'm sick of the dead animals. Yes, I want to go to Bible college. <laughs> he said, well, I've got an amazing story. He says, I've just got you a full ride, a full scholarship to study theology. There's only one condition. Are you willing to go to America to get it? And I said, yes, sir, I am. That's not the point of the story. I come to America. 17 years ago, I moved to New York City. So, so I live right in the two blocks from Times Square, right in the middle of Manhattan. We get a vision to buy a building, to do 24-7 prayer, community center, apostolic house, get this vision. So a friend of mine drops $16 million, pays cash, it's New York, pays cash, gets this, this building, seven-story building. This is, this is where I met Chad. And um, my mom comes in, so I'm in New York, just praying, we've got this prayer basement, come on, Holy Spirit, move in power, seeking God, calling on the, the spiritual fathers, Lord, pour your spirit out of New York City. My mom comes and visits me and she says, Johnny, I found a tin of your old videotapes. And I was like, oh my gosh, I knew they'd come in handy. So I take this like biscuit tin and I cookie tin and I take it and I get the tapes digitized and put into a Dropbox, uh, files in Dropbox. So I'm walking back from Grand Central where I get this done. 
and I'm just looking through these videos and it's like me at 17, me at 18, me at 19. And I'm walking through Times Square and I come to the street, 45th Street, uh, that we live on. We've got this building down the street. And I'm scanning through and I see myself giving a tour of my old home to my future self. And as I scan past that photo of America, I almost pass out. Because that picture is a picture of the very street we bought that home on. And I'm standing on it. So I'm a kid in Australia asking God, open a door to America. And I can't even remember that 20 years into the future, we're going to buy a home for prayer in the middle of New York City on the very street I was praying for 20 years earlier in Australia. Here's my point. You never know what God will do with the prayers you pray now in true repentance when you turn your heart to seek God. If you're young here, listen to me. The prayers you pray now may take 10, 15, 20 years to pray. Pray bold prayers now. You never know how God will hold those prayers in your youth and deploy them later on for your destiny to be unleashed. Are you seeking God for great things? You got a place where you just put it up and you say, God, I'm asking you to do this. Calling on the name of the Lord. This is what Josiah did. Went back in history, picked a spiritual father, put it up there and said, I want to walk in the ways of my father, David. Second thing that he does about radical repentance is he begins to rip out suits, his sin by the roots. A lot of us mow our sin. I remember my dad's great parental advice. If it's green, mow it. That's like, that was, it comes to my house and he's like, if it's green, mow it. So I'm like, I just mow everything. I'm in a war with the weeds. Once a week, just mowing those babies down. Never once did it occur to me. Rip them up by their roots. Talk about an exercise in futility. To tend to the weeds every week. This is what it says about Josiah. In his 12th year, he began to purge. Say purge. purge. Judah and Jerusalem of higher places. Asherah poles and idols under his direction. The altars of the Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them. He smashed the Asherah poles and the idols. Then he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on their altars. And so he purged Judah and Jerusalem. In the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and in the ruins around them, he tore down the altars and the Asherah poles and crushed the idols to power, cut to pieces the incense altars to Israel. Then he went back to Jerusalem. How's that for a little tour of repentance? He just, anytime he sees something that's been established, he tears it down. And he takes extreme action. He does what nobody in a hundred years before him had done. He burns them. He destroys. He grinds to power. He desecrates. And here's what he's doing. He is making a kind of repentance that says the next generation cannot dig up or mow. But he's gone to the roots and pulled them out. When you burn the bones, you can't turn those things into relics. When you chop up the altars, you can't rebuild them. They're gone. He does once in a generation repentance to get rid of that sin. So it will not become a stumbling block to the people who are behind him. This is extraordinary. Many of us are tolerating things that God has called us to destroy. Many of us are mowing the weeds and we're called to purge them. Again, as I said last night. It's the small things that rob us of spiritual confidence 
and of power. Jesus says to the church uh, in Revelation chapter 2, you tolerate that woman Jezebel. You don't get what you aspire to, you get what you tolerate in your life. And so we can be walking around, you can come to these men's events and you're like, come on, come on. But you won't rise to your vision, you will drop to your toleration. And here he says, I'm not going to tolerate it. I'm going to pull it out by the roots. In our apartment over the years, we had accumulated quite a bit of just junk. And uh, do you know who Marie Kondo is? Any of your wives into Marie Kondo? Life-changing power of tidying up or whatever it is. She's like, unless it sparks joy. And I'm like, everything sparks joy. Otherwise, I wouldn't have it. I walk into this pile of joy. This is a pile of joy sparking. That's what this is right here. So my wife's like, you got, a, you got too much stuff here. So I'm like, okay. So I'm like, I'm just touching things. Now it's all sparking joy sweets. So like this, I feel joy. So she says, this paradigm is insufficient for your clutter. So she comes back and she says, there's another way to clean. I'm like, oh yeah? What's that? She says, it's called Swedish death cleaning. <laughs> oh, is that on the internet? Yeah. What is Swedish death cleaning? She says, well, you pretend that you've died and you only keep that which your family needs to remember you by. You need a Swedish death clean. Now go purge. <laughs> Let me tell you, when you've got a Swedish death cleaning lens as opposed to a sparking joy lens... I had so many bags of trash out the front, I was honestly worried they would not take it all. Like a, like a bonfire of rubbish, just stuff that had accumulated. And I barely recognized where we lived. And I think this could be one of those moments where some of you have been like doing Marie Kondo with your lives. And it's probably time for a Swedish death clean. It's probably time to get in and really see what's there and what needs to go. John Wesley says this, what one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. If we don't clean it out, the next generation's going to stumble on it and build on it. When I got married, man, did we bring some drama, generational drama into our home. Horrific sexual abuse on both sides of the family. Incarceration. My brother-in-law's in prison for murder. He's been in for 30 years. He's probably never getting out. Multi, multi, but just dysfunction, poverty, bankruptcies. Uncle in prison for statutory rape. Other uncle committed suicide. Just, I'm telling you, like, forces of death hovering over our young love. My wife's 19. I'm 20 when we get engaged. We don't have, this, we don't have like, generational theory we don't have epigenetics. We don't, we don't understand the forces of Freudian family dynamics and family systems. We're just in love trying to keep it honest before God. Man, that stuff starts sneaking into our marriage. Just little bit by little, because we don't know how to act. All we've got is these broken systems. And we have to go through a kind of deep repentance breaking generational cycles, burning things, destroying, tearing down altars. Deep, deep repentance. One sociologist says this, whatever is not transformed is transferred. You don't get it right, you will unintentionally pass this on. This is a kind of deep repentance. And maybe today you're here 
and your grandfather did it and your dad did it and you swore you'd never do it but you're doing it and that shadow was hanging over your kids this could be a day to get to the high places today this could be a day to go up and just tear it down do do violent damage to sin tear it down so when you try and go back it's like it's gone I can't even dig it up it's burned it's powder it's gone This could be a day of deep repentance. And you have no idea how powerful it is to start a line of blessing when there has been generations of brokenness. You're here today because God wants to do that in your family. Josiah just does this out of the blue, deep repentance. Second thing he does is this. He begins to rebuild costly restoration. He begins to re- rebuild worship. It says this, in the 18th year of Josiah's reign, to purify the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, and Messiah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, the son of Johaz, the recorder, to repair the temple that the Lord God had built. When Josiah was 26, he begins to repair this. This is what he did with his 20s. The last comprehensive repair of worship and the temple was 250 years earlier. He was doing all of this radical repentance in faith of what he saw in David without a realization of what was possible through the presence of God. He's got no worship. He's got no redemptive rhythms. At this particular point, the temple has homosexual prostitutes inside the temple. It's completely desecrated. So he drives them out And he begins to torn down the high places and they begin to go in and put back at the center worship and the presence of God in the middle of their lives. It had been neglected. It was in a place of disrepair. And he said, now that repentance has taken place, we have to replace it with worship and with the repent. Remember what Jesus said? If the demon comes out of you, it's going to look, it's going to go through dry places, dry places. And if you don't replace that, It's going to come and bring seven friends. And sometimes we can come to events like this and we can say, I'm going to repent. I'm repenting so hard. I'm going to repent harder than any other men's event. But if you don't replace it with the right things, if you don't put worship at the center, if you don't take those sinful habits and place them with redemptive habits, that same stuff will just be a giant cycle. As he says, I'm going to rebuild. I'm going to put this at the center. I'm going to begin to restore. Secular culture, our, our modern world, is doing reverse exorcisms in the presence of God. So what did Jesus do? Jesus went around the world bringing the kingdom and any place he saw Satan's influence, he would say, come out. Anytime he saw a demon-possessed person, he'd say, come out. Our modern culture is going through the world with the kingdom of secularism and any time it finds a place of Jesus' influence, says, get out, get out, get out. And so we have to be the people who say, no, we refuse to let you exercise Jesus from our lives and from our culture. Secular culture says this, I don't care what you believe in your heart. You just can't practice it in public. You can can believe whatever little fantasy, little fairy tale in your heart, but don't try and make this happen in our world. Now imagine all the activists for every other cause were like, we just want to keep this in our hearts. No, they refuse to let what is in their hearts not be expressed in the world. Why is it only God's people that say, well, we don't want to get in a fight. I don't want to be, you know. What has that produced? It's produced the judgment of God on our lives. Got to be a public faith. We have to put back at the center a vision 
of the kingdom of God. I've, I've traveled the world studying revival history. I took my family on a revival tour. And uh, I just had this vision in my heart before my son graduated from high school. I said, I just want to travel the world where revivals have happened. And I, want to st- I want to hold my family. I want to get in a circle. I want to hold hands. And we want to say, God, do what you did in this place in my home through my leadership. So I didn't have any money for this. I'm a pastor in New York. You know how expensive it is to merely exist in New York City? <laughs> Wild. So I just said, Father, Nate's almost done with high school. I'm going to need that money for that trip. So, Father, you've said, asking you shall receive, seeking you shall find, knocking the door will be open unto you. So I'm asking and I'm seeking, I'm knocking. I need to be funded for a revival tour. I didn't tell anybody this. Elderly gentleman comes up and says, oh, hey, I was praying this week. And the Holy Spirit told me to give you money to take your family on a trip somewhere. Go wherever is in your heart. And he wrote me this massive freaking check. I didn't even know this guy had this much money. If I'd known, I would have put him in my special council of chief givers. I would have, I would have activated that. So now I've got this, the funds for the revival tour. And we just go everywhere. But my favorite place, my favorite revival in church history is the Hebrides Revival. So we go to the Hebrides Revival, and I read the accounts of Duncan Campbell. The Hebrides Revival, how many of you have ever studied it or heard of it or whatever? It's extraordinary. The manifest presence of God came down for a period of two years where people could not walk into this area without having tangible encounters with God. Most of the conversions didn't happen in church services. They happened on the roads. People so overcome with the presence of God. Duncan Campbell would be walking through a field and hear cries and it was just men on their faces in the fields getting right with God. No one even preached to them. Just conviction. And so I was like, how do you create an atmosphere in a region for the presence of God like that? Well, I did a little research and Duncan Campbell said this, and this is why I am so encouraged by this event. He said, in order for God to take a region, there has to be fire on four altars. The first altar is the heart. You need men who want God. The second altar is the home. You need men who build godly homes. Places where the kids hear the word of God. They learn to worship. They see their parents repent. The third altar is the altar of the church. You need praying churches that contend for the presence of God. And the fourth altar is the hardest altar to build. It is the altar of regional prayer for awakening. Now, they tell me there's something like 20 churches attended here. Do you understand how rare that is to get 20 churches together united around a single thing? The heart, the home, the church, the region. And if I could sum up everything I've learned about revival, it would be this simple sentence. God comes where he's wanted. That's it. If you want revival, God will give it to you. He'll come where he's wanted. If you want it in your home, God will come where he's wanted. You, some of you need this, Some of you, the fruit of this weekend is going to go home and repent to your families and rebuild your family older. I got a friend who's uh, he's a pastor. And I asked him, how did you come into ministry? Like, no, with all due respect, you're not the kind of person... Or kind of family history. So just like 
you would expect from a pastor. And he said, well, when I was a kid, I grew up, my dad was in construction. My dad was, was basically a cruel and violent man. And then he started hanging out with some Southern Baptist guys. And the Southern Baptist led him to Jesus. And he said, my dad came home one day, sat all of us down, asked for our forgiveness, pulled out a bowl, washed our feet, repented, and then rebuilt a completely different family dynamic. And he said, when I watched the power of transformation in my dad's life, I said, I want to serve the God that can do that in a man's heart. The power, the power, power of rebuilding. You got to build those family altars. You don't have to be good at it. You just have to be consistent at it. Doesn't have to, I mean, you don't have to be like some pre, you're not doing like a PowerPoint slide for your kids every morning. Hey guys, we're going to study the seven covenants of script. You can just literally say there, you can just model prayer for your kids. You can just read a verse a day and declare it over your home. But when those four altars are in place, when the presence is put back at the center, anything is possible. Josiah says, we got to rebuild. We got to rebuild. We got to get presence. We got to get worship. We got to get it back at the center. Next thing he recovers is the word of God. While he's in the temple, they find the Bible. And let this sink in. He's done all of this, and they don't even have a copy of the scriptures yet. And when he gets the scriptures, he's completely overwhelmed because he realizes that they are at, a, at the very end at a cycle of judgment. And he begins to tear his clothes. It says this, some of the Levites were secretary scribes and gatekeepers while they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord. Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book and Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because of those who have gone before us, have not kept the word of the Lord, for they have not acted in accordance with all that is in the book. Now, what's happening in this passage when you read the rest of it is what's called an intertextual echo. And what that means is it's not a direct quote, but it's a a deep, deep reference. And what has happened is that Josiah has realized that if you go read Deuteronomy 28, 29, He realizes we are under the judgment of God, not the blessing of God. And his only response is to tear his clothes in radical repentance in response to the word of God. Just just humbles his heart. Again, you don't get what you aspire to. You get what you tolerate. And he realizes they are under the judgment of God because they have tolerated sin. H. Richard Niebuhr says this, the great Christian revolutions come not by the discovery of something that was not known before. They happen when someone takes radically something that was always there. And this is learning to read the word of God and to tremble before it. The disciples heard about Jesus and they dropped their nets and reoriented their lives. Zacchaeus had an encounter with the truth of God's word and gives away half his stuff and repays way above what the law requires. Mary breaks the bottle. When people see who Jesus really is and what his, what his word really requires and you respond accordingly, you are taking steps towards a move of God in your life. It's recovering the word of God. 
And the third thing we see is this, a defiant rebuilding. He brings back, 2 Kings 23, 21 says this, the king gave this order to the people, celebrate the Passover to the Lord, your God, as it is written in the book of the covenant. Neither in the days of the judges who led Israel, nor in the days of the kings of Israel, and the kings of Judah had any such Passover been observed. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, the Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. They had lost their rhythm. Now, God had given the children of Israel a way of using time that marked them out from the pagans and enabled them to remember the story they were in. The typical American church has lost its redemptive potency because it just follows a cultural calendar. It's like it's new, new you for a new year. Faith, family, fitness, finances. New you for a new year. But it's really mowing the same you from the, from the previous year. And then it's Valentine's Day. We're going to do a series on like dating and relationships. And we're going to head into the spring and we're going to talk about springing into growth. And then in the summer, we're going to do summer in the Psalms. Just chill out. Just take it easy. Everyone's busy. They're traveling. And in the fall, we're going to try and get a bit momentum. So we'll do a thing on discipleship and then we'll head into Christmas. And, uh, and then we'll just repeat. New you for a new year. Relationship series. And here's the thing. This is, that's not bad. Some of you are like, I just did a series. I, did, I gave this talk. And someone's like, I just did a series called New You for a New Year. Like, I'm in actual repentance. How did you know? Here's my point. We don't have the wisdom on our own or following the culture of how to build a year where we prioritize what God wants. They had to recover the redemptive rhythms. They had to use time as a formation mechanism in order to pull them out of the story they were in to embrace a different story. And so they begin, this is, this is his point here, they begin to celebrate these feasts of the Lord in such a way that they are bending time in a different direction. And people remember the story that they are in. They bring the priests the ark is put in. Worship is restored. And as they say, it's been hundreds of years since the earth has heard the worship and celebration of the Passover like happened under Josiah. 400 years since the story was told properly. Now, we always do our best at Easter, don't we? Sometimes we get a rabbit jumping out of a helicopter and we drop 10,000 eggs. <laughs> But is it possible to build a kind of worship that has not been heard in this region from your churches and lives in decades? The Jesus movement happened down the coast. The last great revival. And has there been praise? Has there been repentance? Has there been celebration? Has there been worship like that in 50 or 60 years on this part of the coast? Maybe it's time where God is calling people back to recover the story that they are in and to celebrate it with all of their might. Well, what's the result of all of this? Radical repentance begins to push things back in place, reclaiming the story. Two things happen. Number one, he gets God's attention. Look at what it says in 2 Kings 23. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with the law of the Lord. 
It's just like he didn't even have a map. He didn't have an inheritance. He just said, I just want you in my life, God. And I'm going to use whatever influence you give me, whatever agency I have, and I'm going to use it to turn things back to you. But then something amazing happens. Here's what happens. He's in a time of decline, which is where we started. The clock determines the play. And you know what God says to him? This is, this is so extraordinary. God says to him, because you turn to me with all of your might, I am going to create a window under your leadership where you will not witness the judgment for this decline. It is possible for one man to act in such a way that in a time of decline, God will create a window of possibility for something else to happen. It's extraordinary. God is building his calendar around the response and repentance of his people. Now, you know Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel? We love those guys, don't we? Quite strong. Daniel, who, Daniel's amazing. He's a teenager. He gets put into the center of power. So he's in, like, he gets literally put like in the, the, the elite school, getting ready to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. He's a teenager. And where does this teenager get the people skills to say, hey, appreciate the fatty meats available in Babylon? But I just want to know if we could do like a little vegan experiment here. I'm thinking about a California cleanse. I'm thinking honestly, kind of like a little like vegetables and water, perhaps some juicing, a little detox. And here's what I want to do. I, I don't want to get you in trouble. So what I want to do is let's do an experiment. Let's see if you eat like this, what happens to you. And let's see if, if my friends eat like this. Here's the thing. Where do you build teenagers that have the power to defy their environment like that. You know what happens, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Nebuchadnezzar's getting a bit of an ego once he sets up the statue and they've got the band out, dun, 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 you know, and everyone has to bow down. And they're like, hey, we appreciate your leadership, but we're not bowing down. And he's like, no, you will bow down. He goes, no, we appreciate that, we're not bowing down. He's like, come in here. And they come and they're like, hey, um, statue in itself is like good craftsmanship. Band was quite good. Do want you to know, though, we will not bow down. And he's incensed. Who do you think you are? And said, oh, we're children of the Most High God. He can deliver us. But if he doesn't, we're willing to burn for this. Where do you get teenagers? Where do you get teenagers that can stand up to the most powerful man in the world, in the courts of power, who are willing to burn out of discipline? At the end of Daniel's life, something absolutely incredible happens. He's been in exile 70 years or so. And there's that scene when the angel comes. You know when the angel comes to him? Do you know that scene? He's like freaks out. He's done the Daniel fast. You guys remember the Daniel fast? Pretty good getting your own fast. It's, it's aged well. <laughs> Everybody makes that passage about spiritual warfare. They make it about the fasting. But that's not the miracle to me. It says this in that passage. At the hour of evening sacrifice, as he was praying. Now, here's the thing. The temple was destroyed. It's been 70 years since he's seen an evening sacrifice. But he's lived in exile in these godless empires. And he is still 
ordering his heart by Jerusalem time in the midst of exile. How do you disciple people in such a way that when they haven't even seen it for 70 years, it's still in their heart? Where do you get up? Where do you get kids like this? Well, you know where you get them? These, these kids were discipled under the fruit of Josiah's revival. God creates a window because of his repentance. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come up in the halo effect, that window God created through one king's repentance. And they were prepared to thrive no matter what the culture threw at them. Don't you want to raise up your sons and daughters in such a way that there's nothing our world can do to shake them? Don't you want your kids to be able to stand up in the midst of universities when everybody's like, there is no God, Christianity is a tool of oppression. They say, I appreciate that, you're completely wrong. I appreciate that, but let me just tell you why you're wrong. And they're faithful in the halls of power. Where are these kids going to come from? With all due respect, I love student ministry, but the typical youth group is not going to be enough. A few games in a camp, that's not going to get the job done. We need fathers in the homes again who say, we are going to rebuild family altars. We will turn to the Lord with all of our might. I will build a one-man revival so that everything underneath me has a chance in the midst of a culture of decline to thrive no matter what our culture brings back. You think this is possible? Oh, it's possible. But it doesn't look like it, does it? You look around and you're like, I don't feel like I got my act together. It's looking pretty bleak out there. I want to close with a prophetic image that is a picture of hope. This is a picture here of a desert. This is the Atacama Desert. This is the driest place on earth. It's in Chile. And uh, this is where they do research for the Mars rovers. Yeah? It does look a touch like Arizona. I'm not throwing shade, I am saying. I look at this and I'm just like, this is the driest place on earth. Doesn't look like there's much possibility there. But buried underneath this desert, the driest place on earth, are over 200 species of wildflowers. But the thing is this, there's never enough rain in one period to activate them to get below the soil. There's never enough rain. But every now and then something happens that they call a super bloom. And they get 10 years worth of rain in one day. And when a super bloom happens, this is what happens. Next slide here. The whole desert just bursts. And I think this is a prophetic image. You see these kids? This is a generation of kids who are destined for a desert, but rain comes and now they're celebrating because the whole thing's bloomed. And part of the problem is we never get to repentance and the pursuit of God at any given moment in history to get to the breakthrough. And it may look, you may look at this region and you just think, man, this is like, this is, this just, it's not going to happen. There's too much to climb. But underneath the dryness of what you see here is spiritual possibility. What it needs is a community of men who say, we will seek God. So there is decades of prayer happening in days and the fruit of that will be this happening in your region. Don't you want to see a spiritual super bloom that is a sign and wonder to the rest of this nation? Don't you want it? We got to seek God for it. We got to seek God for it. A decade in a day, a decade in a day, 
Revival, according to Jonathan Edwards, is the acceleration of the normal work of the Spirit, which means that what would normally happen in evangelism in 10 years happens in 10 days. That means the amount of prayer that happens when six men in a church of 400 get together for 30 minutes once a month, when all of a sudden men begin to gather in a region and seek God, where it's not special events, it's not one-off events, it's a culture of insistence that the future must be different. They change the pace, they increase the intensity, they change what is normal. Listen, let me say this. If you keep doing what you're doing, you will keep getting what you're getting. Look around, you are reaping what you have sown in other eras. And it's not bad. Thank you for your faithfulness. I'm just telling you, there's more if you want it. There's more. There's a deeper invitation. There's fruit. And what Satan wants to do is to stop you believing that you can be a part of it or that this is possible. Two-minute warning. The clock determines the play. We are headed for a desert or a super bloom. There is no other option. And so I want us to be people who are willing to respond and repent. Where's, uh, are we doing a worship set? Okay, let's, let's, uh, let's create some space to respond here. Let's create some space to respond here. Let's just go back through the life of Josiah and let's just open up our hearts before the Lord. Maybe you're here and you were younger and you used to have that radical heart for God, that first love. And everybody would say to you, you're going to calm down, you're going to burn out. And what happened is that they, you were just... You were making them nervous because they'd grown lukewarm. But eventually you gave in to their lukewarmness and you lost that first love. And maybe your response today is simply to say, Jesus, I'm just going to seek you like I did when I was a teenager. I'm coming back to my first love. Going back to last night, it's just an exchange. There's nothing wrong. All things are lawful, but not all, th- all things are necessary, but not all things are beneficial. Others may, you may not. It's a serious moment. It's a serious time. There's a lot at stake. And maybe you just sense God saying, just be one of those men. May not look spectacular. Guarantee when Josiah was eight years old, people went like, oh my gosh, this is the future. He was just a kid in his yard. Maybe it's you just creating a place in your backyard where like, God, I'm just calling on the name of my covenant God to come and move in power. Maybe God's calling you back just to seek him like you haven't since you were a teenager. Maybe that's your response tonight. Maybe you're at that place where you've just been mowing the sin in your life. You go from event to event or convicting sermon to convicting sermon. And tonight's like, stop doing Marie Kondo with your sin and do a Swedish death clean. Maybe it's time to go to the high places, generational sin. Maybe you need to go to war with that, that stronghold that's in your family or in your life. Maybe you live in a world where everyone says you're destined to struggle, but God says you can be more than a conqueror. Here's what that means. When you conquer, you overcome something. When you're more than a conqueror, God gives you a ministry of teaching other people how to conquer. Some of you need to move from struggling to ministering to others and bringing them in a breakthrough. But that's not going to happen until you get deep into your story, deep into those strongholds, and you pull it up by the roots. Some of you need to get to the high places of your family story. You need to pull it down. You need to go back in time. You need to just say, I just bind this in the name of Jesus from coming into my home. Maybe some of you need to bring it back. Maybe you need to restore some things that you lost. Just got busy, 
living by the cultural calendar and rhythm, maybe God's saying to you, rebuild that family altar. I'm asking you to pray for your kids. I'm asking you to pray with your wife in your home. Create a sacred space where the presence of God can come down. Is that you? Maybe God's asking you to come and celebrate your salvation. Maybe you've forgotten it hundreds of years since you've heard a cry of joy and salvation from your life. Two-minute warning. We are headed for a desert or a super bloom. Where do you want your legacy? Dry places? Or do you want to stand and behold with your eyes an outpouring of the Spirit of God in your life, in this region, in your church, in your family? So I want to encourage you right now, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you in any sort of way, I want to encourage you, get right with God right now. Maybe you want to come forward. Maybe you want to kneel where you are. Maybe you want to pray with someone. But I'm telling you, I feel like I'm carrying a warning and an invitation in me. It's a warning and an invitation. You want to manage decline or do you want to break through? God's inviting you today. Something rare is happening here. I, I, said, I said to Chad on the way in, you are poised for something extraordinary because the hardest thing is to get churches to gather together. You can get one church. You can get a few men, but to get 20 churches, to get men from a region to come together, these are the seeds of revival. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. Don't think it's some bigger thing than this. Don't think it's some other room. Don't think it's some other community. Don't think it's some other time of history. This is where it looks like. This is where it starts. So I encourage you right now, if you sense, if you need to get radical sin out of your life, you made it through last night. You resisted. You made it through. But you sense God saying, get it out by the roots. I want to encourage you, come forward right now. Get it out by the roots. Just come be honest. Come and kneel before the Lord. Is there a stronghold in your family story, in your life? You're like, I got to get this out. I got to purge. I got to do violence to this thing. Come on, let's get right before God in this moment. Let's be honest here. There will be power. God will honor this. so proud of you guys you are literally changing the story of your family your inheritance right now let's be honest before the Lord deep getting it by the roots and pulling it out why don't you just begin to confess this to God say father I am acknowledging that there is a high place in my life that I return to and I, in the name of Jesus, am going up and I am, I am renouncing that. Forgive me for what I've tolerated. Just be honest before the Lord. Ask the Holy Spirit to get in there. Show you where it started so that you can go into that place. Holy Spirit, we just invite you right now to come and do an MRI in our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit, those things we couldn't see. We ask for a deeper work, Lord God. We ask for a different future in our lives. We pray for a different culture in our homes, different culture in our hearts, Lord God. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We pray, increase your presence, Holy Spirit. Increase the intensity. 
of your conviction amongst us, Holy Spirit. You are free to work it. You are free to work it, Holy Spirit. If you're a teenager here, and you've just been doing things because your friends have been doing it. But the Holy Spirit's been telling you, these seeds will lead to a bad future. I want to encourage you right now. Respond to what the Holy Spirit says. Maybe you need to delete an app. I sense that for someone. God's saying, delete that app. It's not bad on its own, but it's a stronghold for you. Delete that app. Pull your phone out right now. Delete it. Holy Spirit, we are just praying right now. That you would just come and you would purge out the sin that is within us. Holy Spirit, we just say we are sorry for grieving you. We're sorry for taking lightly the grace of Jesus and the cross. Come, Holy Spirit, deep repentance. Maybe you're here and you just you just sense God's calling you to, to seek him in a fresh way. Seek Him like you haven't in years. Why don't you just make that commitment to Him? Maybe it's a time and a place. I pray at the same place and the same time every day. Maybe you just consecrate a section of your house to God where you just say, I'm going to build an altar, Lord. Take a moment. Consecrate that to the Lord right now. Make a commitment before Him. There will be a place where I seek Him, Lord God. sin in your life that you've tolerated in your family story and you see it showing up with your kids and you're terrified why don't you just start praying for your kids right now why don't you make a vow before God Father I break this off I renounce this from my family story maybe it's pornography maybe it's alcoholism maybe it's abuse maybe it's violence maybe it's anger maybe it's passivity but just say right now, I announce that. I cancel that from my family story. And I choose a different spiritual father. I'm asking to walk in the ways of David. Different inheritance. Holy Spirit, we just pray right now that you would just break off these generational forces that just show up again and again and again. And Father, we just say, we go to war with those high places, these strongholds that every generation show up and bring brokenness. We just pray breakthrough through our kids, Lord God. We just pray, Lord, keep our kids sexually pure. We pray, God, keep our kids away from destructive forces that seek to destroy their lives. Father, we pray for consecrated kids, a new generation like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, holiness, skills to navigate culture, a different future. We're just asking, Lord God, that you would come and move amongst us. We turn our hearts to you, Lord, and we just pray, Father, that you will see in this room, like it says, that there was not a king who turned to the Lord with all of his might. And Father, we're just saying, we turn to you right now. We turn to you, Lord God, with our hearts, with our minds, with our souls, with our strength. We turn to you, Lord. Let's just pray together. Let's just pray a prayer, renouncing sin together. So I'm just going to pray this. You pray this out after me. In the name of Jesus, I renounce sin and any stronghold that has
has taken root in my life, my family, and my story. I bind its influence in the name of Jesus. I repent of returning there. I poison the roots so they cannot grow anymore. And I consecrate before you, God, to replace this idol with worship, with your word, with holiness, and with love. I ask you now, Holy Spirit, to fill me with power where there has been this place of idols. I receive you, Holy Spirit, your forgiveness, your cleansing, your power, your anointing. In Jesus' name. And just receive the Holy Spirit. Just invite the Holy Spirit in, into that place. I receive your Holy Spirit. I receive your power, your conviction, your guidance, your leadership, your anointing. Come Holy Spirit. sense in your life. There's those of you who are down the front, just keep pressing in. But if you're here and you have that sense, God is calling me to contend for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this region. You just sense that call to prayer, fasting, and intercession. Will you just stand up where you are? You just sense it in your spirit, a real commitment, real commitment. God, I want to contend for this region. If that's you, just come, raise your hands up. We're just going to pray. Holy Spirit, we pray fresh power in the name of Jesus. Lord, we just pray, release the spirit of prayer on your people. Father, we pray, release the spirit of intercession, a burden, Lord God. Holy Spirit, we don't know how to pray, but come and groan through us, Lord God. Just begin to cry out for what it is that's on your heart, your community, your friends, your family. Ask for a spiritual inheritance. Awaken a cry, Lord God. Let this cry out. We want you here, Lord God. We want you in our hearts. We want you in our lives. We want you in our homes. We want you in this region. Lord, we're asking for a super bloom in the central coast of California, Lord God. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we're praying for a move of God like we haven't seen in 50 years, 100 years. Jesus movement, Lord God. We're asking for kids who know you, who love you, who want you. Cry out to the Lord. Release the cry. Father, we're asking in the name of Jesus for a spirit of intercession to fall on your people. In the name of Jesus, we push back the works of darkness in this region. 